David has been uh, taking us on a long journey through the life of David, and we finished talking the talk series on the life of David two weeks ago, and he plans to begin a new series in a few weeks' time. So we have a few weeks uh, to press the pause button and maybe to think about some of those challenges through that series. Uh, last week's Engage in Worship was so helpful in looking to the God who is with us in all circumstances. And tonight, we're going to think about how we relate as a community of people. Uh, next week, we're going to gather around the Lord's table and hear another story of one person's experience of following Jesus. But in a way, tonight is like an extended book review. I recently read this book called As It Happens Side by Side, and it provided such a fresh view of how we help each other. And so I felt that message would be worth sharing in some way. It's about how we walk with others in a way that helps us as friends who belong to Jesus. And maybe particularly how it helps us go further. And we'll be looking at it in the light of a few Bible passages and think about how this works out. But I've got three points and uh, I'm gonna tell you what the points are and I'll tell you what the answers to the questions of the points are. And if we go further than that, great. But the first is, what does the Bible call from us and for us in relationships? And who are the kind of people that God uses in his church? And how can we ask for help as we walk together in a place like this here in Windsor Baptist Church? And the three questions are met by three very simple answers. And they are, here's a quick summary. The Bible calls for our neediness. In fact, neediness, it seems, as we look at what Scripture says about us, is a gift. Which, as I read this book and as I began to think about it, I thought that is a complete reversal of what my whole attitude and natural response to need is but it is in fact a gift. And the heroes, I'll just go back to those answers, the heroes in scripture are often very surprising people, and we'll look at one or two of them. People who are very needy, and yet they become the front runners and the people that Jesus points to and the models that are set up for us. And so being unimpressive is the new strength. If you're feeling unimpressive tonight, be encouraged. And the church culture changes as we allow other people to help us. But a question, first of all, what comes to mind as you think about how we relate? Here we are in the church, sitting in pews, nice neat rows, uh, kind of keeping appropriate distance unless we're family. And uh, unless it's Sunday morning, of course, when we're all told to squeeze up and we're really having to, to sort of uh, bunch up and all that. Well. Bear this picture in mind. Here we are sitting in pews. Now, maybe it's a bit more like this. Apologies for those of you who have had one try too many 
but uh, this is a, a familiar image that some of us have been watching over the last number of weeks, and this is recorded on my phone yesterday as I was watching a particular moment of a particular match. You won't be able to hear the commentary, don't worry, but it, you get the idea. There's this m bunch of people who are pressing together, and they're relating in quite an unusual way. When you look at it from the sidelines, if you've ever, uh, yeah, let's not go there, but as you, as you watch a scrum, you know, or, or a rolling mall from the sidelines, it looks like total chaos. From that kind of aerial view, you see something more of a pattern, but it's this crazy mess of bodies that are thrown together and uh, all sorts of uh, mayhem and passion and pain is going on as they push and as they move forward together. And I guess I imagine a body of people in a church not unlike that, full of passion and pain sometimes, and we're all moving together. I love the adverts for the Rugby World Cup, you know, the high heels, stilettos in the scrum, and the, the grannies knitting the crocheted arm covers with the rugby logo, and everybody's involved in this thing. It's not just for the macho men who are on the pitch. It's a, it's a, a sport that's for all, but uh, should the church not be a bit like that? Not just orderly pews, but a be beautiful view of each person passing the other person in ways that make our lives join up and allow us to do far more than we could ever do on our own. And I want us just to chew this idea over, but we're going to turn to a part of the Bible which gives us a picture of what we're like together. Romans 12, please turn, it with, turn to it with me. And it describes the church as a body that's arranged in a way that gives support to each other and where each person fits and has a gift. And I'm going to read from verse 3 of Romans chapter 12. So if you've got a pew Bible, it's on page 1138. No, it's not. It's on page 1139. And uh, this is God's word. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And Paul goes on with that amazing list of characteristics that should mark this people that he describes as a body with many members, all pulling together, all functioning together. So what does the Bible call us to in terms of how we relate? Well, Romans 12 gives us lots to think about. I want to just highlight three elements of this. One is to have the right view of ourselves. He says, look at yourself with sober judgment. Take a good look at who you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are. Be realistic about what is going on. And in some ways, that's what I want us to take away from tonight. A fresh look at who we are, where our weaknesses are particularly, and how we can get help. And this is far more than knowing just your present strengths and weaknesses. Because Paul says, according to the measure of faith you've been given, what is that about? It, it's really about saying, not just where you are right now, but where is God taking you? What are the things that God is doing? And where is it leading to? And how can you be involved with others in bringing that about? In other words, what are we becoming rather than what we are right now? What are we becoming as a church, as a body, functioning together? And the second thing that comes out of this little bit of Romans 12 is to know that we belong to one another. And Paul makes it very clear that we're not isolated individuals. No man is an island. He's saying you actually belong to each other. So you can sit bunched up like family because that's who we are and we can actually get involved in others' lives in such a way that individual identity is almost lost in this experience of owning each other's successes and failures and joys and sorrows and we're thrown together in this scrum of life where God uses us as one body with many parts. And the third thing is that there's no clones. We're not identical, cookie, cookie, whatever they are, cutter people, you know. Uh, Steve Taylor had that wonderful uh, song, uh, I Want to Be a Clone. That was of a different generation, so most of you won't remember it. But it had this idea of church members who were all exactly the same, and that's not the case at all. Paul is very clear. We are so different. All we need to do is look around. All we need to do is kind of rub up against one another in this scrum of body life and we realize we are so different. So it is easy to distinguish perhaps between one another and, and realize, yeah, we all have unique contributions to make. Every person who belongs to Christ in this room has their own contribution to make. We're not all the same, and you've got something that I don't have, and I've got something that you don't have. And together, Paul imagines this beautiful picture of body with all of the uh, ups and downs and challenges and hurts and passions and joys and uh, all functioning together. 
So what do you see in this as we think about who we are and how we relate? It is easy to go back to our pews here and just think about how we gather and how we look at one another. It is easy to distinguish between those who are especially needy and others who are very, who are very able helpers, those who need discipled and those who are great disciplers. And it's nearly as if a, a line separates the kind of people we are between the needy and the needed. But church isn't like that. And that's not the picture that we are given of this body as Paul describes it. The line doesn't go between us. It goes through each one of us. And I think that is the message that I so often forget. I think, well, I'm doing okay at the minute, so I'm on that side of the line. Well, this week hasn't been so good. I'm really on this side of the line. Whereas in reality, that line rides, runs right through me. And as a needy person, I'm also needed. So we are all both needy and needed. And Romans persuades us right from the get-go that we are desperately needy people. And yet, we're also those who are capable of helping others. So as you look at the pews or the scrum, say to yourself that we're always both needy people and needed people. And the help that we need goes beyond help in finding somebody to fix our gas boiler or repair our car. In case you follow me on Facebook, actually that is the story of this past week because I sent out a help message and Christine Thompson came to the rescue with uh, Gas Boiler Man of the Year uh, within about an hour to our house. It was fantastic. But really, that's not the help that we need here when we come together. That's great if it's a bonus. But it's much deeper than that. We need help for our souls, especially when we're going through hardships. Help can be as simple as connecting with somebody else who genuinely says, I am so sorry. That's all. But it's not easy to ask for help. We spend a lot of time trying to hide our neediness because we're afraid of what people might think. And yet, weakness and neediness is, according to Scripture, a valuable asset in God's community. It's a reminder that we're not self-sufficient and the means that God uses to cause us and other people to grow is needy people. As we are being changed and empowered by His Spirit and we find that we are all both needy and needed. And tonight we're going to focus on this part about being needy, the harder of the two that we are very needy. But in discovering more about our need, we discover this great gift that God has given us to strengthen the body of Christ. And who would have thought it? Who would have thought that the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that we have as we look around tonight is actually our need? But that seems to be the story of the gospel.
Needy people are the best helpers. So I want to grow in this skill of being needy before God and before others. And the Bible is full of this teaching. Think about the first two Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, what are they? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The people who have such need that their whole disposition is crying out to God for blessing. What's the second one? Blessed are those who mourn, who are carrying such loss in their lives that their need is swallowing them up day by day. Blessed are those people. So how are you doing? The Bible calls for us to be needy people. In fact, it's God's gift to us. How are we doing in handling this gift? Are we the kind of people God is using? Well, here's a few questions for reflection. When anxieties come, and it might be your gas boiler that blows up like ours did this week, or it might be something much more soul-related, but when those anxieties kick in and life just doesn't go the way you want it to go, is your tendency to manage them, to put on your builder's hat and say, I'm going to manage this problem in my life and I'm going to sort it out? Or are you going to get distracted by them and think, I just can't do anything else. This is coming in like a wave that's going to carry me away. Or is it to call out to the Lord to say help? Here's another way of looking at this. Do we tend to see ourselves as basically good and competent people who occasionally do bad things? or as wretched people who fall well below the basic standards required, and if anybody else saw what was really going on, they would be horrified. Well, both views hinder our growth in neediness, because when we're not really aware of our sin to confess, we assume we don't need any grace or mercy at this time in our lives. Or when we think that we're too bad, we're reluctant to open up until we've got a few things sorted out ourselves, you may have heard the idea of the Lord knocking on the door of someone's house. And as the doorbell went, the shout from within came, wait a minute. And the person embarked on major restoration work before the Lord comes into the house that might take an hour or a day or a year. Because the thought the shame of inviting him in to the way things are right now is just too much. So what kind of person are you? Are you able to say help to the Lord? Paul Tripp tweeted a prayer that I try to use every morning before I even get out of bed. And it's this very simple prayer. Father, I'm a person in desperate need of help today. Lord, in your mercy, send helpers my way. Spirit, give me the humility to accept the help that comes. It's a very simple, memorable prayer, but it might be one that just enables us to grow in this skill of facing our neediness and going into our day not thinking, 
I just hope I manage to avoid as much need as possible, but rather saying, Lord, I am desperately needed even before I put a foot out of bed. Please help me. Help me today. Is that you? Because what happens in our relationship with the Lord will reenact itself in our relationship to other people. And if we're able to say to the Lord, help, then it's more likely that we'll be able to turn to one another in a place like this and say, would you help? In your battle to love people in your life, do you need help? In your battle against sin and all those little struggles every day, do you need help? Not many of us will quickly ask for help, especially if you're a man driving a car in a strange country and you've got a map that you can't read. The last thing you'll do is ask for help. And yet we need to work at this. So how does scripture lead us to be the kind of people that God uses? Well, three quick examples. And the first is from somebody who was in a storm. Job in chapter 38 is, is, it, is caught in this incredible storm that's overwhelmed his life. And you know his story where nothing seems to have been left untouched and even the helpers around him are not at all helpful. And Job is confronted finally by the Lord who speaks to him. And here is what it says. In this storm, the Lord speaks in circumstances that are overwhelming. And he said, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And here's Job before the creator of everything, the one who, as we thought about this morning, holds the oceans like a drop in his hand. And he's confronted by this amazing creator God who's questioning, well, who are you, Job? And really, what can you do? We thought about this king this morning who is able to hold us. And that's the message that Job gets. I'm the one who is in control of everything. The storms that come in, look to me. And the second example is from this wonderful story in Luke chapter 18 where the people Jesus pointed to as the heroes were the people that of the day were despised. And you know that story so well, you don't need to turn to it, but if you want to be reminded of these two almost, dare I say, cartoon characters, because they seem so wonderful, but they are real life characters. And there is the Pharisee and the tax collector who go up to the temple to pray chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. And the tax collector is the hero because he is the one who beats his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me. They are the people the Lord uses to demonstrate his mercy. The people who are able to say, I'm in need of help today. Lord, would you help me? Would you come my way? Would you look in my direction? They're the kind of people you want to speak to when you too need help. And they're the people that Jesus points to as the, one who's, the heroes who delight him 
as they looked for help. And Paul finally was undoubtedly an incredibly competent and accomplished man, but how does he describe those people that God uses? As he writes to the church in Corinth, very first chapter, he says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that that are. And Paul's story was, when you feel weak or inadequate, that's the beginning of ministry in the lives of others. And 2 Corinthians is that wonderful exposition of what life in this kind of ministry looks like. Strength in the power, power in weakness, strength made perfect in weakness. And being impressive is the new strength. Unimpressive, sorry, being unimpressive is the new strength. Is that something we recognize? Or do we still tend towards admiring the people who have it all together, thinking that's everybody else apart from me? Rich Mullins has a song with, I think, probably the longest and most awkward title of all Christian songs, at least one reason why we don't sing this one in church. We're not as strong as we think we are. It sort of just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> uh, but they are great words. And it, he, he expresses this kind of reality, saying, look at ourselves. We're not anything like the kind of people we'd love to think we are. It took the hand of God Almighty to part the waters of the sea, but it only took one little lie to separate you and me we're not as strong as we think we are. We're frail, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion, choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And with these hells and our heavens so few inches apart, we must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. So what does the Bible call for in relationships? And who are the kind of people God uses? And finally, how can we call and ask for help in a place like this here in church, in a gathering such as we are in? This is where the rubber hits the road, and putting it into practice is not at all easy. On Sunday evenings, I'm sure you've noticed we have an opportunity for prayer ministry, and uh, it's for asking for help. And I want to just tell you how this works. Uh, it's for any kind of prayer, any kind of situation, but it's for anybody who needs help. And it's in this setting that we're able to say to one another, there are things I can't do, or I can't do very well, or I'm going to need some help because I'm struggling with some things, and I want you to pray for me. Would you do that? There are things I am finding difficult right now. Would you pray for me? And it doesn't need to take place down here. That's just one place for it. It could take place in the seat beside you with the person you came with or with somebody else at the door where you're just saying, look, I I need help. Would you pray for me? And that's what we're trying to encourage as the culture in this church. We're, We're saying to one another, I need help. And the reason why I find it so helpful is 
nothing to do with the person who needs prayer at all. But what it does in my heart, because what is being said in effect is my faith is in Jesus and I need somebody to pray with me just because that's where my trust is. And it has an impact on the person who's asked to pray. It changes our view of each other and it energizes our prayers. And we have the privilege of listening to somebody saying, would you pray for me? Then that person stays in our mind and we think, that person's trusting Jesus. And I want to be like that person. I want to pray for that person. And in this scrum that we're in, be looking out for one another and praying for them. I'm sure all of us have been in a small group where there's safe prayer requests. And it may be genuinely tough things about maybe an individual involved, but it's not about me. It's not revealing my dependence. Still good things to pray for, but we all know what those are like. Our small group, not the present one that we're in, uh, had leaders who started one night by saying how much they needed God in an especially vulnerable area of their lives. And uh, at that time, Janet and I had been thinking about sharing our hopes for a family that were constantly being frustrated and disappointed. And we'd been thinking about mentioning this in our small group for a long time, for months, maybe years. And the leaders appealed for prayer, set the tone that night. And so we were able to ask for prayer for ourselves and others followed. And we were changed as a group that evening and everything changed and we were never the same again. And we became a scrum thrown together to help each other through the things that threatened to take us out. And it was a kind of a group experience of saying, we're in this together, we belong to one another, we share gifts, and it's for the common good. I'm not saying that you should always chuck out all of your hidden struggles, but small steps of trust do change the culture. We met around the Lord's table this morning with words from a hymn which Heather turned into a prayer, a prayer need. Often we're proud in our ways and foolish in our hearts. And she said, we need this table so much. And it changed my approach to the table, thinking the person who's leading us here is saying we're often proud in our ways and foolish in our hearts. Lord, we need you. Side by side isn't about moving away from each other, or just being nice and neat in pews. It is about moving towards one another in our needs, not as helpless and helper, but in a way that allows us to be moved by the struggles of faith. Side by side shows us life is complicated, and it's not slick answers that are needed, but humility and being slow to give easy answers. This week, the rector of St. Mary's and St. Patrick's in Uri gave what some have said is the most strongly worded apology they have ever heard. I'm sure you heard something about this on the news. In his own words, the rector got something blatantly wrong and apologized for the hurt that he'd caused He undoubtedly was guilty of disregarding important principles and values. Yeah, and while I think his actions were serious, 
the lesson of his unreserved confession and repentance may be the key lesson out of that sad situation for the rest of us. Surely, of course, there's been lots of comment on that, of judgment, of harshness, or of indifference. But surely between those who stand in judgment and others who couldn't care less, there's a third way. There's a gospel way where we can learn how to move towards one another in humility, saying, I'm not qualified to sort out the complexities and the pain of hard things and bad circumstances, but I am learning about God's mercy every day, and I believe there's enough for you too. So as we learn this rhythm of being needy and needed, Jesus will be in it and over it and through it. He was weak before we were. He was dependent on mere human beings and came to serve us. And the challenge for us in putting into practice side by side is about following the one who was that perfect human being yet was crucified in weakness and raised in power. So as we get close to one another in the push and pull of life, we discover the unimaginable, unbelievable truth that neediness, my neediness, is a gift. And it causes other people to grow. 